Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Expat Empire Podcast. Before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that we're offering a free consulting call to anyone interested in moving abroad. Whether you're thinking about retiring somewhere warm, starting an international career, or becoming a digital nomad, we're ready to help you think through the next steps in your journey. Send us a message at expatempire.com to schedule your call today. With that said, let's start the conversation. Hey, Eric, thanks so much for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty amazing to, uh, to hear your story and what you've been up to the last years and, and how you've changed your life in terms of your financial situation and your flexibility to go abroad. It's something that I, in terms of the financial part isn't something that we've covered too much in the podcast yet. So excited to dig into your situation and your experience and learnings as well. But just to start us off, if you could tell us a bit about where you're from, where around the world you've lived so far and where you're currently living, that would be great. Yeah, sounds good. So I moved around uh, a little bit as a kid, so maybe I started my life as a as more of a nomad. I lived in four different states, uh, just you know, for my my parents' jobs growing up. But originally, uh, I usually just say I'm from Michigan. I lived there the longest. I finished high school uh, and college there, so originally from Michigan. But I've lived in quite a few other states in the U.S. During my working career, I lived in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, for a little bit. Uh, as well as Austin, Texas. And then abroad, um, I lived in uh, South America for a few months. So Santiago, Chile, Lima, Peru, Medellin, Colombia, and uh, Mexico City. And then at the beginning of last year, I did some traveling in Southeast Asia, spent a little bit of time in Chiang Mai, and then was in uh, Changu uh, in Bali before everything kind of got really crazy uh, with COVID and then returned uh, back to the U.S., but now I'm I'm back in Austin, happily back in Austin. I would say, you know, there's definitely as stuff is starting to open up a little bit more. I definitely am getting the the travel <laughs> itch more and more as I see a lot of my friends out there traveling. Um, yeah. But I do have a really good uh, community. I would say in Austin, like really good group of friends. My brother lives here, uh, so it is nice to have that community and a lot of like social activities going on. That sounds great. And uh, I went to university in Austin, Texas as well. So love the city, but it's been quite some years since I lived there. But what what sort of led you to Austin in the first place? And how has that ended up ultimately becoming sort of your home, at least in the United States? Yeah. So originally, just work brought me Mm -hmm. to Austin. I had uh, had a friend from college that lived here. So I did come to visit like one time uh, before in 2015. And really... Really liked it. Just love the weather, love the you know bar and restaurant scene. So many outdoor activities uh, and such. But yeah, then moved here for work. My brother moved with me, which was pretty cool. Like when I I got a promotion and was moving to Austin, and my brother was graduating from college that year. Didn't have a job or anything lined up, and I'm like, hey man, you know Austin's a fast growing city. You know, large. Uh, tech scene. There's a lot of you know jobs and, and companies hiring. Why don't you move down here? So yeah, it worked out well. Um, so it just felt like the most natural place kind of coming back to the US because I already had a good group of friends and, and my brother, him and I are pretty close. So Great. So it sounds like you did have quite some experiences moving around the US growing up. I did as well. And I always wonder how much to tie my interest in going abroad to that experience of even 
as a you know younger person growing up uh, in, in so many different places, even within the United States. So given your experience there, what, do you think that that really played a role in your desire to see more of the world? Or how did you really develop that initial interest in going abroad? Yeah, that's a great question. I, yeah, I don't know how the, you know, my childhood uh, influenced it. I would say I, I hadn't really done too much uh, international travel extensively. So I don't know where uh, it really came from. I think just throughout my working career, just uh, long hours and being in a warehouse and whatever, I just, then it kind of really developed and I just thought it sounded so cool, like seeing people living in just all different parts of the world. Then I would say the travel itch like really started to to build up. I also never did like a study abroad or anything in school. So I felt like I had to make up for it a little bit as a as an adult. Yeah, definitely. So could you talk a little bit about uh, the work uh, that you were doing and, and how that led to these maybe opportunities to travel around the U.S. and travel internationally? Or, of course, maybe that was part of your vacation at the time, but just help, help kind of walk us through um, your experience in the working world and how that led to a bit of where you are today. I guess that's a big question, but maybe you could help break it down for us. Yeah, for sure. So I, I studied uh, supply chain management in school, and then I got a job in like warehousing in uh, logistics industry. Which overall, I would say, you know, I have I have no complaints. Like, has been a good career so far. I was able to you know earn a, a high salary. Sometimes a lot of you know kind of physically demanding work. You're on your feet for you mm-hmm. know twelve twelve hour shifts or so maybe work in weird schedules. Like I worked a lot of weekends, I worked nights, but overall, like really can't complain, you know, with, with a high salary, there was, was definitely some benefits there. So being in that industry, I had the opportunity to move around the U S to open up, you know, new warehouses or uh, fulfillment centers. So that was kind of the U S travel. And then in terms of the international travel, a lot of it was was just savings, you know, mm-hmm. really having like the fire mindset and kind of discipline there. To begin my travels in 2019, I had saved up like a year's worth of cash. So mm-hmm. I was I felt comfortable like, you know, leaving the the workforce for a year just to travel and enjoy that experience, kind of test out the early retired <laughs> lifestyle and then just be able to work on kind of fun and creative passions of mine, which, you know, was was the blog and the podcast. Yeah, great stuff. So could you talk a little bit about uh, for our listeners, kind of break down what FIRE is if they're not familiar with it and, uh, you know, how you came across it, how you learned about it and how you implemented it and ultimately got to that point where you're ready to quit the job, I suppose, and uh, and to go abroad for a year like you talked about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, kind of a, yeah, not a super long story. It started in 2014. I kind of found out about travel hacking. You know, I, I feel like in my working career, my life always felt pretty routine. So I think I was always kind of researching, you know, watching YouTube videos, reading books or articles, like thinking, okay, how could I design my life more and maybe just live a life with more freedom or kind of more excitement and adventure? So I'd say the first thing I came across was travel hacking, which is essentially, you know, you sign up for different credit cards, 
to get the, you meet the spending requirements. There's usually some sort of spending requirement, but then you get sign-on bonuses. So this is great for travel. You know, a lot of like, say you get uh, chase ultimate reward points, they have different travel partners. And oftentimes you can find some pretty good deals of like exchanging the chase points for, you know, flights or hotels or whatnot. So first I found out about that. It seemed like super scammy. I don't know. At first I was like, this can't, this can't be legit, but I signed up for a card and, you know, I, I paid off the balance every month. So I wasn't, you know, you do have to be really responsible. Like you can't carry a balance and be paying interest. Otherwise that's just going to negate any of those you know po- <laughs> right. points that you got. But yeah, if you, if you do it, you know, strategically and you pay off your balance every month, it can be a great way to kind of rack up some, you know, chase points or airline or hotel points or miles. So I started with that and, you know, got some free trips, just went on, you know, like a weekend kind of wine tasting trip with, you know, my girlfriend or whatever, and didn't have to pay for the hotel or anything. So I was like, all right, I'm onto something here. (laughs) Um, But then I, I think a year later, I came across some fire content for the first time and fire for, for anyone listening that hasn't heard of it, it stands for financial independence retire early. So the basic premise, you know, I'm, I'm sure I guess I understood on some sort of level if if I had enough money, I, I wouldn't have to work anymore. So, okay, that makes sense. But I think the biggest thing for FIRE that, that really hit home for me is it really depends on what your expenses are. You know, I think a lot of traditional financial advice, if you plug in, you know, retirement calculator, mm-hmm. it's going to tell you, you need like really large amount of money, like uh, three, three to $5 million, right. To, to retire, you need all this stuff. But a lot of those calculators look at what your income is, assuming you, you just, you spend a hundred percent of your income, which, which obviously like right. that is not the case or hopefully not the case for a lot of people out there. So yeah, looking at it, you know, kind of goes off of your expenses. There was a study done, the Trinity study, which kind of came up with the 4% rule and like the rule of 25. So if you take 25 times your annual expenditures, so if it's, you know, 40, if you spend $40,000 per year, you know, times 25, that gets you to a million dollars. And then the, uh, it, yeah, looking at that study, they, you know, determined that it was safe that you could like withdraw 4% 4% of your portfolio to live off of every year. And that would last, you know, in perpetuity, it would keep up uh, with inflation. And, and basically, if you had that amount of money, it would could kind of last the rest of your life. So mm. with that, I just I started, you know, reading a lot of articles, podcasts, YouTube, like just really listening in kind of consuming a lot of content. Uh, about financial independence. A lot of it, I think, was kind of due to my job. I just wanted to really like wanted to create a free life and, and mm-hmm. kind of wanted wanted to try something different. So I can pause there in, in the story. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. No, it makes sense. Uh, I mean, did you find that it sounds like as you were saying the beginning of our conversation, you found your job uh, to be, you know, having some good benefits, obviously having a good salary, but maybe it Sounds like it wasn't just the most fulfilling thing uh, that you could spend your day doing. <laughs> Would you say that that's the case? Or, I mean, do you? I guess my question is: Do you think that there is, there could be a job out there that would satisfy you on that level? Or ultimately, deep down, you knew that after the experiences that you'd had in the working world and the corporate world, that that was just probably not going to align with your long-term goals. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, there were definitely aspects that I liked about my job for sure. But at the end of the day, like, I think the biggest thing was the work-life balance. Like I had a really, in Austin, I had a really long commute. I worked nights. I worked on the weekends. Like there were, there were a mm. lot of times where I, I had a good group of friends, but wasn't able to really see them or hang out with them for kind of weeks at a time. And then I, it got to the point where it was, it was great that I had a, a high salary and some of these benefits, but then I felt like I was kind of missing out on, on some of the best years of my life and not really experiencing a lot. One of my friends also like kind of around that time, he began traveling and he joined a remote year and spent, you know, a year in different city, a different city each month, you know, traveling around the world with like 70 people and looked like he was just having a blast. So me, you know, I was, I I don't recommend playing the comparison game in in life to others, but at that time I was seeing what he was doing (laughs) and I was seeing what I was doing. I was like, I, you know, really need to make a, a change. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of, in my mind, there's like tiers of freedom, right. like an ideal scenario, I could be like a podcaster or something and just talk to super interesting people about, you know, topics I'm passionate about and make money from that and do that full time. But that's, you know, I'm working towards that, but that, uh, it probably is a little bit more difficult right now. Like I have since returned back to work and I would say it's very much in the middle. It's, it's very mm-hmm. nice. Like I have a lot more, I have some remote flexibility. I'm working less hours. It's kind of a, a much better company culture. It's less stressful. So it's still maybe not the ideal state. Like I still am, you know, have to work a set amount of hours and right. I'm working for someone else. I don't have full, like hundred percent control over my time, but compared to where I was before, it's like a, it's a much better situation. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. I mean, in terms of indeed those different levels uh, of freedom and uh, flexibility, I feel like I've seen that in my career as well. I started out in investment banking, working absolutely insane hours, not enjoying life very much at all. <laughs> Found my way out of that, thankfully, but still, even as I moved into product management, then I moved abroad um, after you know uh, work deployment for a couple months and then actually finding jobs in Japan and Germany and Portugal. I realized that even if I could work from home or work from other countries, I still had the employer as part of that. I still had to work on their products. I still had to kind of do all of those things that are required to be successful working for other people. And now with Expat Empire, it's it's sort of an opportunity or a challenge to be able to try to do it on my own without uh, having to rely on other people for visas, having to work certain hours. Um, outside of what clients require and things like that. So yeah, I can completely understand that. And and I think, you know, there's always pros and cons and the grass is always greener. Like you said, maybe comparison isn't the best way to do it, but I think it's good to find a balance that works for you and at that right point in your life as well. So I can understand. Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I think there's, there definitely is pros and cons to everything. And I think uh, at least in, in my life, you know, I think my, my needs or desires have have changed, you know, throughout the years and stuff too. So it really, you know, kind of just depends on, you know, where you're at in your life and in what your kind of goals and yeah, desires are at the, at the current time. So uh, was your first experience then going abroad, at least for a longer period of time, this remote year program, or had you done something prior to that? Or just talk to us about maybe how you made the plunge into going abroad, being, uh, being remote and uh, how that experience was on that program. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. So I guess kind of to pick up on my story and then I can touch on that. Like I found out about financial independence. I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of different ways that people have either achieved or pursued financial independence. I just kind of went the trying to have a really high savings rate and just went with more traditional investments like index fund investing. But there's a lot of people that have been successful, you know, with real estate, with entrepreneurship, a a, a bunch of different things. But I kind of went down the more traditional path of, already had a high paying job and I knew that I could kind of, you know, cut back on expenses. So I really, I tried to avoid lifestyle inflation. Like I lived with my brother, so I had a roommate to save money. I had an older car, but it was paid off. So that was, was great with me. So yeah, when I, I moved to Austin in 2016 and really just tried to, to ramp up my savings, like income expenses, I tried to just grow that gap as, as much as, (laughs) as possible. So from 2016 to 2019, I was just kind of aggressively saving and investing just to kind of have a, a safety net. Just, you know, I wasn't, I would say I was gradually getting unhappier with my job. So I, w- <laughs> right. I wanted to have that like cushion as, as kind of a backup plan if, you know, I decided, hey, I just, I can't handle this anymore. Like I have a little bit of cushion, right? right. So then, yeah, I, and I mean, originally I was, I think I'm more on the, uh, fat fire it's, it's called, which is traditionally was classified as like over a million dollars in terms of net worth. So my goal was to save somewhere between like 1.5 and $2 million. I didn't come anywhere close to, to hitting that, but yeah, I just decided like, this isn't for me anymore. Like I want mm-hmm. to just experience the world and kind of live life a little bit more fully, I guess. Right. So, uh, yeah, originally I was like, oh, maybe I thought about doing a career transition. Like I was like, oh, I might try to teach myself how to code. Like I'm going to be a, a programmer because right. there's a lot of remote software developer jobs. And my job was like the farthest end of hmm. the remote job potential spectrum. Like I was right. a warehouse supervisor, right? So obviously right. there's you know <laughs> boxes in the warehouse, like it's a physical location. You have to be there and you probably have to physically be there if you're you know, supervising and in running a shift or whatever. Right. But I, I eventually decided, oh, you know, I, I, I sat and thought about it and I was like, coding sounds really fun. And I think that would be a great skill to learn. Like I still, I still feel that way, but I kind of, it was a big decision. Like I thought about it for over a year, but I kind of came to the mindset of like, if I didn't have to worry about money, like what would I spend my time doing? I decided I, you know, I would really want to travel and I would love to talk to people about, you know, traveling and financial independence. So that's kind of where Nomad Mm -hmm. on Fire came from. So yeah, I just decided, you know, I had that kind of year's worth of cash. I was like, Hey, we'll, we'll see where it goes. We'll see what happens. I had that left my job, um, was also traveling with like, with my partner at the time, she was able to find a remote job. And we were like, yeah, let's, let's, you know, join this remote year program. I think my, I had a friend that had actually done it. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of nice. Like I had that, you know, social proof, like I knew someone that did it and had a great experience. And I also wanted, it was kind of my first time being outside of the U S for an extended period of time and going to some places that I, I might not have gone to like on my own. So it was really nice to have that built-in community. Like there was 28 people in my group. Each of the cities, you know, have remote year staff. 
So you're essentially, you're paying them for all the logistics to be taken mm -hmm. care of. So I paid a set monthly fee. I got accommodations, a co-working space membership, and, and then like flights and stuff between the cities. But I would say what you're really paying for is that community, like having mm -hmm. just all the friends and just the different memories <laughs> and stuff that I made on that trip like that, that made it worth it. Like, I, I guess I'm in, I'm, I'm fine, I guess, paying for community if it's going to help you sure. on that experience. Like, I think I'm a pretty, a pretty social guy, but it is kind of nice to sometimes have that like group structure, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you're making those memories together, you're also moving from country or city to city quite frequently. It's it's hard to build a unique type of network in a month or, or however long it is between each location. So having that built in, I think, makes sense. And even on being relatively stationary right now here, now I'm thinking uh, I actually am about to join a co-working space just more for nice. the you know uh, community aspect than you know of course I have my desk and my everything as you can see right now here in my house but or my apartment but uh, you know being able to have that community even locally just the one location 15 minute walk from where I'm living is almost invaluable so I can completely understand that especially in the context of going all over the world in a relatively short period of time for sure yeah I, I'm. I really like co-working spaces, so I'm I'm with you. I completely <laughs> agree. I feel like it's, you know, it's designed, you know, for remote workers and people really trying to be productive. So I'm sure you'll meet right. some awesome like other entrepreneurs and people working on cool startups. I, I think that'll be a, a great experience. Nice, right on. Um, so you wrapped up that trip and then kind of what did you think from there? I can imagine that after that uh, great experience, you know, bonding with all these folks for that period of time, it must be kind of hard to see that come to an end. So did you, what did you sort of think to do after that? Or did you go back to the US at first? What, what was your thought process? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So yeah, originally, like I left my job, I had the year's worth of cash, but I had some other savings and investments. So I, I really, I was like, I'm just gonna leave my job and I'm going to see what happens. Like I was like, maybe I'll travel for a year. Maybe it'll be two years, three, five, who knows? Did the first remote year for four months, like August to November of 2019. And then returned to the U.S. at the end of 2019 uh, for the holidays, spent mm. some time with family, but then always knew really wanted to go to Southeast Asia. So kind of early uh, January of last year of 2020, uh, flew to Chiang Mai. There was like uh, the Nomad Summit uh, mm -hmm. there. So I wanted to join uh, that event. I had heard a lot of you know good stuff about that. So that was kind of one of the reasons. And I had just heard a lot of hype about Chiang Mai as like a digital nomad destination. So Southeast Asia was was next on on the list there. And I would say it was definitely interesting kind of going there in... I there were There was a remote year group in Chiang Mai, but I wasn't like a part of that program. Mm -hmm. So it was mostly just me and my girlfriend. And then we hung out with, with some people from, from that group. It, it was kind of nice. I would say it was a, a nice change of pace to not be on a remote year program mm -hmm. and being in traveling a little bit more on our own, if you could call mm -hmm. it that. I, I wrote a, I wrote a long like remote year uh, review on, on my site. So maybe you can link it up in the show notes, but I would say like being on the program, I felt a lot of like social obligation and I definitely <laughs> yeah. spent, I spent way more money than like I had budgeted. Like if I spent <laughs> what I spent yeah. on remote year, like every month, my like fire plans would have gone out the window. Cause I was like, this right. is, 
this is way too much. And don't get me wrong. Like it was my first kind of few months, you know, not working, traveling. Like I wanted to live it up and have a good time and not worry about like, oh, this is, you know, a hundred dollars or this is whatever. So it was a fantastic experience. But then in Southeast Asia, like I feel like I really hit my groove Mm. as a digital nomad. Like living in Chiang Mai, I was only there six weeks, but it felt like I was there for so much longer. It felt like I lived there for three months and was just awesome. Like, I feel like I had a very good balance in terms of, you know, going to the gym. I felt like I was very physically active. I was in good shape. I was kind of really productive with podcast stuff, having fun with friends, like going on side trips, you know, going out to dinner with people like almost every night of the week. Like it was just a very good blend of kind of productive Mm -hmm. social time. Like I loved it. So yeah, I think, you know, the original plan was to be kind of in Southeast Asia until supposed to be until like June of of last year. It was supposed to be kind of, you know, half the year, six months. Um, But then obviously, you know, COVID happened. So around March, I did decide to return to the US. I can can pause there. (laughs) Definitely. I mean, it sounds like, uh, yeah, unfortunately, you sort of had a great thing kind of going and you, you found your rhythm, um, which has got to be a great thing to, to feel at the time. And I can only imagine it was quite disappointing to see all of this happen and have to put a stop to that. So how did you think about it once you got back? And I, I mean, it's so it was, I'm sure it still is hard to make plans, but, you know, as you were not beholden to your job at the time, as you were trying to build your podcast, build your blog, build your business, and experience some of this, uh, you know, retire early type of mentality and type of lifestyle. How did you think about continuing that when you couldn't mix it with the travel that was a key part of your early retirement plan or your your personal goals? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny you mentioned like had a good thing going. Like the one the one day in in Chiang Mai, you know, I was like, this is such a great lifestyle. Like I'm having <laughs> so much fun. My, my girlfriend had just gotten like a new job and she was like, yeah, this is awesome. Like we're killing it as digital nomads. And then a few months later, like mm-hmm. COVID hit and kind of put all those dreams to an end or at least temporarily. But sure. I can't complain. Like, uh, like obviously, you know, very, very privileged and, and felt very fortunate to have been in that situation, you know, to begin with. Obviously, there's been people that have had much worse experiences with COVID. So just want to throw that out there and, and recognize that. So yeah, you know, I didn't want to get stuck in Bali, like March stuff was, was kind of locking down some travel, you know, was shutting down from different places, which, you know, in hindsight, Bali might not have been the worst place to get stuck in the world. It's, it's uh, pretty beautiful there and it's great. But at the time too, I was, I went from not really caring about what was going on. Like it, it didn't seem to be affecting things to then like overnight, then I did kind of have a little bit of concern. I was like, okay, I'll just spend some time with my parents kind of, you know, hunker down in in Michigan and and just uh, chill for a little bit. And then I went like, it was a very, it was a pretty quick transition. Like I did have a company reach out to me, sounded like a cool company. The job wasn't fully remote, but was interesting enough. I, it it was a very quick transition. Like I was living the digital nomad was loving it, you know, planned to have continued that for at least a few years, but then kind of with COVID and stuff starting down, I was like, okay, maybe I should switch it up. Uh, fortunately, you know, went through the interview process and did, you know, did, uh, return to work and get a job, which was great for last year because I was like, okay, like no one's traveling anyway. I didn't feel like (laughs) I, 
I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. I was like, oh, well, I might as well at least make some money if I can't travel. You know, like it's it's not like all my friends are doing all this cool stuff and I'm just sitting at home or working all the time. Right. So yeah, I ended up getting another job. In terms of Nomad on Fire, like I'm not going to lie. I'm sure maybe you experienced this or other people listening. Like there was a few weeks where I was just really just kind of down. Like I didn't even mm-hmm. want to release any podcasts. I was like, well, no one's traveling. Like this is kind of silly. Like is anyone even going to listen right. to this? But then I think that kind of faded. And then I did take it as an opportunity just to chill, spend time with family and, and still kind of get some good work done in terms of Nomad on Fire stuff. Yeah. So then I, I started working. Uh, moved to Savannah, Georgia for a little bit, which is still super crazy. I, I don't know. It's like I lived there for six months last year from, hmm. you know, like June to June of 2020 to February of, of 2021, which is still really odd. Like I knew it <laughs> wasn't going to be a long term thing. And like I didn't want it to be a long term hmm. thing. Like if I guess in my mind, like I was like, if I'm going to be back in the US, like Austin really either Austin or Michigan, but I can't really, I don't really like the snow that much. Yeah. So <laughs> right. either Austin or Michigan. So it was just kind of odd. Like I, I took this job in Savannah, but I knew like, I didn't really want to establish myself there. Cause I didn't want to live there for that, you know, long right. of a period of time. But thankfully it worked out that just some stuff with work, I, I had the opportunity to, to move back to Austin. So yeah. Oh, great. 2021. Uh, yeah, early this year, moved back to Austin. And yeah, it's it's been great. You know, I would say my, you know, thoughts on kind of fire and digital nomading have have evolved. One of the reasons like I did want to return to work too is I never hit that target, you know, financial mm-hmm. independence number. Like I never felt confident, you know, I, I mm-hmm. wasn't going around saying like, oh, I I've retired early. Like I just kind of left my job and was like, oh, I'll take a gap year, just kind of, you know, see where it goes. And I do eventually, you know, probably want to own property and raise a family. Like uh, I'm mm-hmm. not married, but I do want to get married in the future and have children. And I knew I just, I didn't have enough money to sustain that lifestyle right. with the amount of money that I had when I left my job. So sometimes like I was loving, you know, living as a digital nomad and in traveling, but there were some times where like deep down I felt guilty about it, right? Like I felt like I was, it's like, Hey, you're a healthy, you know, 30 year old, like you could be in the workforce working. It felt a little selfish that I was just enjoying myself and I could have been jeopardizing, I guess Mm -hmm. (laughs) it it hasn't happened, but I I could be jeopardizing like my future wife and and children, kind of their happiness and their lifestyle. And I'm out here spending money, just (laughs) traveling the world, having a good time. So yeah, like that is a goal of mine. So that was another big factor for me uh, returning to work as well. Yeah, definitely. So how do you actually think about that? I guess let's call it the guilt, as you said, because I guess my concern as I think about living, you know, doing the retire early financial independence and so forth and, you know, being more nomadic is that I'm concerned that that guilt might always be there. (laughs) And so I'm curious if you've come to any, I don't know, realizations or conclusions that helps you to feel some confidence that, of course, once you get a certain amount of money under your belt, if you're able to do so, then maybe you feel it less. But do you think that it really kind of requires having that uh, reaching your financial goal in order for you to 
feel less if if any guilt or have you come up with any <laughs> creative solutions for trying to lessen that feeling i guess yeah i don't i don't know about the the guilt piece i mean i i'm with you i think that could always be there i think the i think a lot of people are are not you know the goal isn't to retire early it seems like a lot of people have kind of came to that conclusion some people use you know financial independence retirement elective I guess in my mind and in kind of how my thoughts Mm -hmm. have evolved on it, you know, I don't think anyone, especially at a young age, is just going to like truly retire and, you know, sit on the beach or play golf or, you know, drink margaritas or something all day. Like, like that's not feasible. If you've been busting your ass and grinding it out for years, you know, that might be awesome for like a few weeks or a month, but then you're going to be like, shoot, what am I, (laughs) what am I doing with my life now? So I think the biggest thing and to avoid that guilt piece is like, what's the next mountain to climb or, you know, what am I working on now? And I think what's so powerful about financial independence is, is you can pursue those things that aren't big money makers on the surface, right? Like maybe there's a cause that you're super passionate about that you're not making money from it, but you can dedicate, you know, so much of your time to helping push that cause forward. So I think that's that's what's powerful about mm. it. For me, I love doing I love doing the podcast because it's it's really enjoyable and hopefully as, you know, a benefit people listen to it and get some good information from it and are able to make, you know, positive life changes. But I I did that truly just cuz I was passionate about it. You know, if right. I eventually make money from the podcast, sweet, right? That'd be fantastic. Like that'd be an awesome job. But I started doing it just because I was passionate about it and felt like I could I could help others doing it. Yeah, excellent. So in your experience, you've you know pursued this fire lifestyle, but you've also tried to take that into more digital nomad or more nomadic uh, experience as well as we talked about today in this conversation. So why, why do you think that it's important for people to maybe mix those two ideas or why is that so something that really uh, is important to you in terms of sharing through your podcast and your uh, blog as well for Nomad on Fire? Yeah, I think it's, I think combining like living as an expat or digital digital nomad with kind of financial independence principles, like that's a, a superpower right there, right? If you're trying to pursue financial independence, you know, it's, it's growing the income piece and it's reducing that expenses. So instead of worrying about, you know, how much a Starbucks latte is, why not move somewhere where the cost of what you're paying in the US is like a third or a half, right? Like immediately mm-hmm. by buying buying that plane ticket, if you could reduce your expenses by 50%, like that's so powerful, right? So I talk a lot about, you know, geo arbitrage. You know, I think Tim Ferriss is maybe the first one that came up with that in the in the four hour work week. But it is just like amazing, you know, You've been a lot of places around the world, right? It's, it is crazy how much cheaper it is in so many places around the world it, without sacrificing like your kind of standard of living, mm-hmm. right? There, there are some great things about the US, right? Like, you know, you can drink the water. There's huge grocery <laughs> stores that have a bunch of different things, but like there's a lot of amazing things, like very comparable in a lot of places. I lived. I guess in, you know, in Chiang Mai, for example, the both months that I lived there, like I only spent $1,800 total. 
which depending on who you ask is it, that's too high for Chiang Mai or you could have spent more. I, I thought that was perfect for me because I didn't really budget or really keep a close eye on what I was spending. I went out to eat whenever I wanted. If I wanted to go on a side trip, I went to it. Had a very nice like condo with a pool where I stayed, really like the gym that I went to. And that's just kind of where my you know spending mm-hmm. for the month shook out. Which for me was was amazing, right? Like in Austin, you know, usually I spend four thousand plus dollars a month, so that's right. you know that's more than fifty percent. So just the power of of geographic arbitrage, especially if you're pursuing financial independence, right? If you're making like a Western salary, right, but you're you're living on that much lower cost, you can save and invest so much more. Or if you're already retired, right, your money is going to go. Uh, so much further. So I like to, you know, at least I understand family obligations. There's a lot of reasons why you might not want to travel, but I always think like, even if you, you don't have to spend, you know, your entire career. Like I think, especially with more companies and positions going remote, I like to just kind of throw it out there. If, if people are interested, like why, why not consider, you know, spending at least part of the year abroad? Right. So I, I want to, maybe not poke a hole in that, but just ask a a slight sort of variation on that, which is I also see, at least here in Europe, and granted what you're talking about is uh, is in Thailand, for example. So in Southeast Asia, it's a different story. And I think that's why a lot of digital nomads go there. So I totally get that. And maybe parts of, you know, well, there are pockets all over the world where these uh, expenses will, you know, you can afford for much cheaper than you would be able to in America, uh, a lifestyle that uh, is really attractive. However, if you're coming into Western Europe, for example, while it may be cheaper even here in Portugal compared to what you experience there in Austin, granted, you know, I, what I've seen is like almost every European capital or major city, especially places that people tend to want to go to, have just been taken over by Airbnbs, could be considered exorbitant rates on a nightly basis. And as mm-hmm. you talked about in your uh, experience in the remote year program, you were spending during that time more than you wanted to, and it kind of would have uh, not worked from for you from a financial perspective if you did that day after day, year over year. So while there are opportunities to live life very cheaply, you're also comparing it to Austin, Texas, which you know is not the cheapest place in America to live as well. So I'm just kind of curious what you think about that. Is it really important to ultimately, you know, find those opportunities in the American large cities in, let's say, in a tech job or things like that to be able to get that high salary and then to go to the extremely cheap locations? Or do you find that people are able to make this work in a way that, you know, they can go across Europe as well? And I I mean, I know these are, it's like a broad generalization, but I would just like to hear your thoughts on that because I see here the prices going up and up, more and more real estate being taken by expensive Airbnbs, places being you know, knocked down, built up again in a much fancier way, but in a way that no local could ever pay for practically. Uh, so just, yeah, curious in your thoughts for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always going to come down to personal preference, right? The goal might might be to like stay in the US, but move out of that city and, and have, mm-hmm. you know, a huge piece of land and live in the country or something like it, it really depends on on what you like to do. I think it is important to, yeah, like you, you kind of called it out there. It's important to really think about what you want. Like you don't want to retire on X amount of money, but that, but you could only afford to live in like Thailand or some of those cheaper places, right? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, 
maybe that's what you want to do. And that's, and that's fantastic, right? Like however anyone wants to live their life is, is, is good by me. Right. But I I think that is an important thing to consider. Like if, if you want to travel and see other places in the world, yeah, obviously there's, there's places, you know, in in Europe where the cost of living is going to be much higher. So that net worth or that number that you thought you needed to have, you know, you might have to expand on it. I've talked to some people that are like, I, I don't agree with the fire movement because like, I don't want to be, you know, stuck with just X amount of money per month. I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I get you. Like, I see where you're coming <laughs> right. from, but right. it's like, then, then obviously you would need to increase your number, right? If you're like, I don't right. think I could live off of, of $2,000 a month. Then it's like, well, okay. Yeah. Well, what are your expenses and what would be a number, you know, per month that you would feel comfortable? Right. Right. And I think that goes for anybody who's trying to retire at any point in their life whatsoever. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. of course, maybe the math is different if you have less years to worry about in terms of, of funding. But but yeah, this is a core problem yeah. for anybody yeah. thinking about whether they want to continue working or retire at any point in their life. And it does seem, at least from my experience, there's a lot of people that have blogs or have written books about you know financial independence, retire early. You know, it seems in my experience, a lot of those people, even though they have quote unquote retired, have found a way to make money doing something else, even if they weren't trying to, right? Just by chance, they were so passionate about whatever topic, you know, they kept working on it and eventually were, even if it's not a lot, right? They're, they're making money again. There's not a lot of people at an extremely young age that I've seen that are truly like retired. They're not making any other money besides off of their, you know, investments that they had. Right. It seems to me that, uh, I guess, as you're talking about, and as you've tried to do with your business, that the natural movement seems to be once you've made quote unquote enough money, whatever that is for the individual, a lot of people will end up trying to start blogs, YouTube channels, become a quote unquote influencer. I think we're all guilty of this to some degree, or I don't know if guilty is the right word, but you get my point. But I'm just curious if if that's what you've seen as well, or what do you what do you see that people end up doing when they've achieved their lifetime, uh, you know, ideal financial goals and targets? Is it? I know it can be a million things. I'm sure some people it's you know volunteering in different causes, and some people it's yeah, maybe uh, building out your YouTube channel and presence. But do you have any other thoughts about kind of the things that people end up um, involving themselves in to keep things interesting and busy and adventurous for the next 30 years, let's say? Mm-hmm. It, it does seem that a lot of people have blogs or, or YouTube channels or, or write a book and stuff. But I think it's cool. Like, I think it's it's really interesting. It's cool that financial independence is becoming more mainstream, I would say. And some of these different ideas are, are catching on. You know, there's there's a good amount of books and there's like a documentary uh, that's out there, which which is pretty sweet. I've seen, I, I think some people like are just focused on their passions. The one, the one guy is like big into making music. So he's kind of been doing that. The other one has like a, a co-working space. So I've seen a, a variety of different things, right? I think it kind yeah. of... Just, just it's, gives you it's cool. an opportunity to do what you want, I guess. Yeah, yeah. What, like those, like personal, those like personal passions, and then if you have any of those things in terms of like making the the world a, a better place. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, as we wrap up here, do you have any other specific advice for people who are trying to become financially independent and retire early and or mix that with a digital nomad lifestyle as well? I know we've talked about a lot in this conversation, but if you have any 
parting thoughts or advice, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I think the uh, you know the first piece is is education, right? So I would just blogs, podcasts, YouTube channels, you know, kind of whatever your preferred medium of of content is. I would just start to to look into it. So get as much information as as possible, and then start small, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you invest, you know, even a hundred dollars a month, like that's not a huge amount, but I think you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of progress from those small incremental wins. You know, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, well, it's it's only 10 bucks or, oh, it's only 50 bucks. Like what's what's the big deal? But those small amounts can really compound. There's an investing app I've used before, Acorns. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've used that or heard of it. I've heard of it, yeah. But yeah, it's just, I don't know if it's like the best. Um, I think their fees are, are a little high. But it's just like essentially like rounds up to the nearest dollar and just takes that money and like invests it slowly, like based off of all your spending. And then you can set that you put, you know, extra amount in each month. But I started that in 2015 or so, maybe just because I was like, oh, I'll just, you know, put some extra things in there. And just the power of compound interest. Like I think I have over maybe like $7,000 in that account or something now. So it is really amazing, like just having those small targets and what it can build up to with, with compound interest. So I would say start small and then challenge yourself to kind of ramp up that savings and even further. Awesome. And as far as the financial education side of it that you talked about, of course, we have to talk about your podcast and blog and everything. So Nomad on Fire, please tell us about it. Where can we find out more about it, what you're trying to do with it? And, uh, and yeah, who, who would be the best uh, target to check it out? Oh, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, come yeah, come check it out. Nomadonfire.com or the Nomad on Fire podcast. If you want to connect, I'm always, you know, down for uh, a chat. S- send me a DM on Instagram, uh, Nomad on Fire there. I would say that's the social media platform I'm most uh, active on. Yeah, it's it's, you know, kind of what we've talked about today, really trying to combine, you know, the principles of financial independence with uh, the digital nomad lifestyle. So I try to have a good, you know, variety of guests. Some are, you know, I would say it's a little bit more rare to kind of have fire and digital nomad folks that have kind of both of those things combined. Um, But there are a few, you know, guests and and conversations I've really enjoyed that uh, have had both pieces of those. But a lot of kind of cool travel stories, you know, a lot of digital nomad type of content. Haven't gotten into the financial independence piece as much as I uh, have wanted to. But later, later this year, I definitely plan to reach out to, to more kind of fire folks to get a little bit more of, of that content. But yeah, if anyone's awesome. uh, interested, come check it out. Great. Well, we'll have links to everything we talked about in the show and, of course, to your podcast and blog as well in the show notes. And thank you so much again, Eric, for joining the podcast. It's been a pleasure to speak with you and look forward to where things are headed for you in the future. Yeah, David, thanks for having me. This is a blast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash expatempire. If you know anyone who would appreciate this podcast, please tell them about it so we can continue growing the global expat empire community. Keep up to date on new expat empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. 
You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for our newsletter to get our free ebook, Top 10 Tips for Moving Abroad, right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We are currently offering free consulting calls to discuss your moving plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks.